Daily Drive is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Innovation. Resilience. Agility. It's how Michigan businesses continue to work together to make a difference now and shape the future. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org slash radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Schmidt with Automotive News, and this is Daily Drive Rewind, a look back at some of our over 350 Daily Drive interviews with leaders from across the industry. Today, we revisit my conversation with Deloitte Simon Dixon, global transportation leader for the consulting firm from September of last year. We discuss relationships cities have with transportation, what the future holds for these urban environments, and what city leaders need to know when planning for what's next in transportation. Here's my conversation conversation with Deloitte's Simon Dixon. Hi, Simon. Thanks for joining me today on Daily Drive. How are you? Very well, Steve. Good to speak to you. Long time no see, and I can't wait till we can get back traveling properly so I can see you in person and share a drink. It is absolutely good to hear your voice, my friend, as well. So let's hop right in. Tell us about the 2020 Deloitte City Mobility Index. What does it explore? How long has the study existed, etc.? Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the index? Thanks. Well, it's something quite proud of. Uh, we started it, we launched it actually at the Consumer Electronics Show in January 2018 with a pilot of about 18 cities. Because what I wanted to do was to pull together two concepts which are uh, in vogue at the time and still are, which is the future of mobility and smart cities. So the future of mobility, uh, at the time, everyone, as you remember, was big on self-driving cars. There's still a role for them. But I think the future of mobility is about seamless, integrated, multimodal mobility. The other thing that was big was about smart cities. And it was, what's a smart city? And the interesting thing was, well, if you're not a smart city, what are you? Are you a dumb city? So we wanted to actually look at these and explore them in different ways. And the bit about the mobility was how do the mobility networks in cities contribute to the both the economic health of a city and also the uh, social aspects of the city, the quality of life. So we pulled together a whole load of metrics uh, at we look at in a quantitative way, not a qu- sorry, we look at it in a qualitative way, not a quantitative way, and we compare and contrast. So now we've got about 60 cities in the index and we've been refreshing it each year. However, 2020 is important because as it was growing and as we got more feedback from cities and from clients, we started thinking about some of the methodology behind our scoring. And we realized that some of the data sets were changing and some of the weightings were changing. And therefore, this year, we have totally refreshed the methodology. And if you go onto the website, there's a link to actually the methodology for those people who are really interested to understand how we were scoring. Um, Because of that, we've actually only refreshed about half the cities Uh, this year. uh, And we're now moving on to a two year cycle where every two years, all the cities in the index will be refreshed. So that's really what it is. A bit of the history and a little bit about what it's for. Well, it's it's an eminence play, as you would imagine. You know, Deloitte very proud of it. And I'm as global transport leader. I'm very proud of what we do. But actually, what we really want it to be is something useful for our clients in cities to try and think, you know, how do I stack up? So, okay, which cities do I think are comparable with me? Because not every city is the same. You can't compare an Amsterdam, for example, with a Singapore. But if you look at the cities the same, you think, what are they good at? 
And then if you're in the city, you think, what are my top three priorities? Well, I'm really interested in reducing congestion. I want to improve the air quality and I want um, modal diversity. Right. Let's look at cities like mine and see how they do. Do they do better? Do they worse? And if so, why? So that's some of the ways in which can be used. And finally, um, what we've done is looking at all the cities, we produce a wrapper, an article around some of the key things we think we've found from looking at the cities uh, over time and also, you know, in particular in this refresh and hot topics. And we also include on the website a little comparator tool so you can select cities, select things, as I said, such as air quality and see how you do. So that's basically the index. Hopefully that gives you a, a quick overview of what it is and uh, how it can be used. Let's talk about the headlines coming out of the 2020 study. I think one of them was rethinking the basics, this notion of advanced emerging technologies and focusing on those to drive urban mobility. Yet what caught my eye was this notion of uh, don't lose sight of the fundamentals. Uh, they're, they're certainly not easy, but those basics that can help drive and improve urban mobility as well. Um, are cities focused too much on those latest innovations rather than looking at those more fundamental basic solutions, if you will? Yeah, I think that's that's very good observation, Steve. I, I think sometimes people do focus on the shiny new thing instead of thinking, what are they actually for? You know, what do we what do we need uh, to make our cities better? Uh, it's the same way in mobility. Too often people are focused on, you know, a nice shiny new uh train set or new buses or best fleet of taxis instead of thinking what is the transportation modes for they're all about back to my future mobility thing they're about connecting transportation enables us to get from where we live to where we work to where we uh, get our education where we get our health care and where we get our leisure they're means to an end and, and i think cities are now seeing how you connect things together is more important than focusing on some of the, the absolute uh, key headlines. It's a little bit about smart cities because, you know, one of the things that a lot of cities have been looking at is smart street lighting, which can be LEDs, which are efficient, energy saving, can also be linked into um, providing solar charging on the lampposts, which potentially provide a little trickle charging for electric bicycles, things like that. That's great, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're a smart city. It's how you integrate that into the rest of the um, mobility and other verticals in a city that makes it smart. I think my definition of a smart or a sensible city is one that uh, uses the technology, the processes and the people to allow both the citizens and the authorities in the cities to be proactive and not reactive. And that, to me, is my definition of a smart city. So I think, going back to your original question, getting the basics right is important. You know, thinking about how we integrate things. It was a key theme in our indexes over the past, and it's still relevant today, which is, you know, how do you join things up? Because integration is key. Let's turn the conversation to private use of vehicles. Uh, I think there are examples abound around the world where cities are 
closing some portions of city centers to private use vehicles um, in some degree or another. I'm curious, when you look at the world that we live in now and perhaps consumers' uneasiness of sharing transportation, public transportation with coronavirus – do those strategies change in the short term, do you think, for some cities? Do, do you see some sort of easing of these closing restrictions and semi-setters of private use vehicles? That's a, it's a, it's a fascinating question, and uh, we could probably do with a longer uh, podcast, Steve, to go into it. But let me, let me try and unpick a few things. Um, I think what cities are realizing is the role of the automobile is perhaps changing in cities. Um, some people say because they knew I was connected with uh, road pricing, oh, I'm anti-car. That's completely untrue. I, I, I like cars. Uh, but it's where the cars are needed. If you had a fantastic, dense, affordable public transport network, perhaps you don't need a car. But actually, the vast majority of cities don't have that, or couldn't afford it. So if you don't have cars, what, how, do you, how do you join things up? And actually, in the outer boroughs, Cars play a much better, bigger role in the first mile, last mile. I think your point about shared is interesting. In the future, as things get connected with the digital sort of on-demand shuttle buses picking up, actually that can play a role in linking people from their house, the first mile, last mile. So getting from their house to perhaps a metro station or from a train station to their office at the far end or the hospital. So it's it's that integrated network and cars are important, and especially when you move out of the cities. And let's face it, a lot of people are living out of the cities and, you know, you're not going to have the, the dense public transport network. So therefore, yeah, I think cars have always got a role to play. Your point about the COVID is interesting because what we're finding in some cities is that um, active transport is becoming a key thing because as well as COVID, which I think is a little overdone, and I, I hope people are going to realize it's a horrible, nasty, serious disease, but like a lot of others, and I think we're going to hopefully get back to some normal, but take the positives we've learned from this experience about we can work remotely at times and other times we can't. So active transport is walking and cycling. And a lot of cities are seeing that the moving towards the uh, air quality, towards the environment, uh, encouraging cycling and walking is good. So you can conceive of some city centers that are repurposing some road space to make dedicated cycle lanes or to make pedestrian friendly streets. Now, that's great. And, you know, it comes with a lot of goodness, but also it doesn't work all the time because you've still got to get people moving around. And if you're just taking road space away and yet people have to still drive down the roads, you're going to get horrible congestion, which causes bad air quality and you get some negatives. So it's all about a balance. But again, when I talked about the difference with with cities, um, I talked about Amsterdam in our index. It's one of the cities that does best on active transport. There's a huge number. I think off the top of my head, 61 percent of all journeys in Amsterdam were either walking or cycling in terms of modal share. Huge. But on the other hand, Amsterdam is lovely and flat. The climate's pretty good. Whereas you try cycling around Dubai in the middle of summer in 50 degree heat with about 95 percent humidity and it's not an option. So you've got to think about what works in the cities. Uh, And that's why 
I think, as we've talked about earlier, a blend of things, the blend of mobility options. Cars have a huge role to play. I think they always will. I think they'll be cleaner. I really see the move towards um, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, as well as battery electric vehicles. Um, some governments are legislating against the sale of internal combustion engines in some years in the future. So I see that. I see public transport on the major links as the best way to move people. I see cars, I see micro-mobility, I see shared transport around the outskirts linking it up. And then obviously between your cities and the longer distances, you've got the air travel. But don't forget, it's how you get to the airport and from the airport at the last, at the far end. So hopefully that explains where cars fit in the city's thinking. We'll have more with Simon Dixon after this. Innovation. Resilience. Agility. It's how Michigan businesses work together and continue to build the future. Our expertise, talented workforce, and collaborative environment are making a difference now and shaping the future. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org radio to put your plans in motion. That's michiganbusiness.org radio. Absolutely. I think you touched on it um a little bit when it came to ride sharing and, and in reading the report um, in, in this year's study, it was interesting to me under the theme of rethinking regulation, right? What, what caught my eye was this notion that even Deloitte is, is thinking about regulation and has an evolving point of view to balance regulation that, uh, as I read it, is both positive and negative. Um, can you share a little bit why the point of view has evolved on regulating urban mobility? Yes, uh, I think it's really important. Too often regulation ha has been regulation that stifles instead of regulation that stimulates. And what all governments want to do is to introduce regulation that helps people, not just makes their lives more complicated. And I think one of the problems, though, with regulation, this is where the point of view is changing, is that the mobility landscape is changing so quickly. We put congestion charging into London in February 2003, and Internet shopping uh, hadn't been invented. Um, the uh, ride hailing hadn't been invented. And the regulation that was adopted at the time isn't perhaps fit for what it is now. So it's how you can get regulation that is more iterative and rapid, as opposed to something going on the statute books and stays there for ages. A rather trivial example was, if you remember the famous London black cabs, uh, for quite a long time, the regulation said that they had to have a bale of hay in the trunk because that was like a, a spare can of gas uh, from the days when the black cabs were horse-drawn. But that regulation hadn't been written out of the statute books. And so regulation tended to get there and stay for a long time, but wasn't fit for purpose. Uh, a more up-to-date example is micromobility, which is sort of e-scooters, mini-scooters. You know, they were actually, uh, in a lot of places, they weren't illegal. They just weren't allowed to be used. They weren't allowed to be used on the sidewalk and they weren't allowed to be used on the road, but they weren't banned. So actually, when the city's thinking, we actually think those uh, e-scooters and micro is are a good idea. So how can we regulate to allow them, but to have the safety aspects uh, within it? And the other thing is, try it, and then if it doesn't work, change it. And I think a good example of that 
is in the past, in order to put a new cycle lane in or to change the use of a road, you had endless consultations, people were taking positions, then after about three or four years, eventually legislation would be written, by which time things might have changed. Was actually now what we're seeing, and it's been actually accelerated by some of the COVID crisis, is that cities are going, we're going to try it. We're going to take this road out. We're going to put a cycle lane in, and we're going to see how it works. And if it works well as the way we think, brilliant. If it doesn't, we'll take it back out and put the road space back in. And it's that iterative, rapid approach to regulation that I think cities are rethinking. They're also thinking about how they involve the private sector more in planning because the public sector, the city authorities, don't have a monopoly on what's happening. And it's great when the private sector feel they're in a partnership with the public sector of saying, we're wanting to try this idea out. We think it'd be good. Can we try it in your city? Is that going to cause a problem? And then you can actually work on it as opposed to what has unfortunately happened in the past. The private sector coming and said, we're doing this. We don't care. Like it or lump it. And you get all the sort of negative press. So I think that's probably my my headlines around why cities are rethinking their approach to regulation. Something you said there resonated, this notion of try it. Um, one of the other headlines was rethinking digital. Maybe it, maybe it could even be described as rethinking data. But it's this notion – I guess I'm curious of – as you view – these emerging technologies and the crossroads of don't forget about, don't lose sight of the fundamentals. Are you getting a sense of maybe a more sense of pragmatism from the executives that you uh, consult with, your clients that says, hey, these new technologies are coming. It'll get there, but but l- let's go – let's take that path in very incremental. Let's try it, test it, fail. Are you seeing more pragmatism among your clients relative to when we're going to see mass scaling of some of these technologies? I definitely think there's a pragmatism to try it and fail fast, and I think that fail fast is important. I think one of the things that perhaps Silicon Valley has not appreciated when it comes to transportation and mobility is you've got the digital world meeting the physical world. And you can change things digitally quite quickly. You get some of your software wrong where it needs updating. You blow a new firmware patch over the wires, and you've got a new system. Um, Redoing a metro system or even simple things like cycle lanes where you've got concrete and steel, it takes a lot longer. And it's getting that balance right uh, is is something that I think people are, are having to be more pragmatic about. But what is really exciting is some of the digital capabilities that are allowing cities to play what ifs. So we have a, a solution which is um, we're trialing, which is called Futurescape, which enables you to very rapidly spin up a model of a city and play what ifs. So we were working with Sandag in San Diego. And one of the things they were thinking of was, you know, what happens if we had a new uh, exit off the interstate? What would be the impact on the traffic? And we were very quickly able to model that in about 10 minutes, whereas the traditional transport modelings, the VISIMs, the web tags, you know, take about three weeks to do some of that modelling. So I think giving city authorities uh, the ability to play digital what-ifs allows you to perhaps learn and make some of the, you know, under 
learn some of the lessons, see what happens in a digital world before you actually commit to concrete and steel, which hopefully means there'll be less uh, sort of failures in the physical world. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. It's, it's, I think also this, there's, there's also process efficiencies in there, right? Cost efficiencies, yeah. speed efficiencies. And I think as governments around the world struggle with how do you drive innovation at such scale, but do so in a way that is within the, the, the limitations of budget requirements and resource requirements. I think what you're describing here is there's also, you know, not only the insights that come from planning, but the process efficiencies, the ability to do it faster, quicker, test it, fail, move on, et cetera. And I think this thing comes back to something I said right at the start, which is why do we have these mobility systems? Why do we put a new road in here? It's not because we like a new shiny road, because it's connecting something. It's allowing people and goods to move efficiently. Because as I've always said, if you can't move goods and people efficiently in and around your cities, between your cities and between the countries, you don't have much of an economy. Now, unfortunately, we've just had a rather worldwide um, demonstration of the impact on economies when you can't move goods and people around. So that's why transportation mobility is so important. And it's not the the mobility solution in itself. It's how it enables other things. You know, where people live. And a classic example is if you take a city and you've got a lot of jobs being created in new industries in, say, the northwest quadrant of a city, but actually you've got a lot of unemployment in the southeast quadrant of the city. And if under the old mobility systems it takes three hours to get from the southeast to the northwest, it's kind of hard for those people to get there and get the jobs because not all jobs can be done remotely. Uh, and then if that happens, you don't get the jobs, the unemployment gets higher with all the negative impacts of that. But if you get mobility systems to actually get people to allow to move more efficiently, then you can actually spread spread the wealth, spread the jobs, and uh, better for everyone. And I think that sort of quality of life and the social mobility aspects that transport enables is something that excites me. So let's jump into some specific cities within the index. Um, what are some that are noteworthy in this year's index and why? So um, what I think is a good one, I've talked about Amsterdam. Uh, I don't know if you've been there, but if you haven't, it's definitely well worth a visit. Uh, they, they are pretty good on um, their modal splits. Uh, their modal diversity is, is one of the sort of global leaders. Um, they're, they're really, they're, they're cracking down on congestion. They're pretty good. But also I like the fact that vision and strategy stands out. You know, they, you know, some of the things we've been talking about over the last 20 minutes, I would say Amsterdam city authorities are actually doing quite well. They're thinking about things. They're planning. They've got their little sand pits to try things out. So I think that would be, uh, something that's quite good. Um, I would say, uh, DC. Um, one of the things the index shows up that its public transport reliability hasn't been so great, but actually they're addressing that. And as if you live in 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 DC, you'll know that the the uh, you know they've been investing in the maintenance of the trains, doing quite a lot of things. And I'm hoping that when we do the next version of the index, we'll see DC's public transport reliability much higher. And it's the fact that you know it comes to no surprises, <clears throat> but that's important. But whereas Washington is pretty good is actually the affordability transport is pretty good and the air quality is pretty good in in DC so that's something that would be something that's good another city which is one of my favorites uh, is Vancouver they, they they adopt some very 
innovative approaches and and no surprises that they score very very highly like Amsterdam on the vision and strategy um, they have slightly different approaches they have uh, the you know with the rivers and the harbor uh, slightly different um, they've gone down a slightly different approach to uh, ride sharing than perhaps some of the more North American some of the American cities um, I would say that um, Accessibility is a big thing, and transport safety is a big thing in Vancouver. Uh, and they are also thinking and working very hard about how to join things up better. So there would be three cities. Um, my own city of London, I think, um, is doing a lot uh, to try and you know get the walking and cycling. It's one of the mayor's priorities. Um, a lot being done on the air quality. So we've talked earlier in the index, if you read it, about the, the sticks and carrots to change behavior with, with car uses and improving the air quality. And one of the, say, the sticks is the ultra-low emission zone, which came in uh, in um, April 2019. And there are plans to expand the geographic footprint of that to help improve the air quality in London. So that's something London's focused on. Um, London's fares are quite expensive. Uh, compared with the other cities. On the other hand, the, um, the, the, the reliability and the coverage of the public transport network is, is incredible. So hopefully that's given you a few specifics. But, I, you know, each city is different. And people say, which is the best city? And you, you can't really say. Because if you take Singapore, who I think do an amazing lot of things. But Singapore is a very different sort of city. You know, it's a city-state. Uh, what the government wants tends to happen and tends to happen quite quickly. And the public attitude to being compelled uh, is very different in, say, in a North American city. So it's horses for courses. Simon, thank you very much. Uh, congratulations on this year's City Mobility Index. Uh, very insightful points of view. And uh, thanks for spending some time with me today on Daily Drive and sharing your perspectives. Anytime, Steve. Pleasure to speak with you. That's it for today's Daily Drive Rewind. For breaking news, visit autonews.com. And for a library of all of our Daily Drive episodes, go to autonews.com forward slash Daily Drive. We'll be back on Monday. As always, thanks for listening. Have a great day and amazing weekend.